0: Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is is live and here on this youtube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss muscle building improving your cardio health flexibility everything is going to be on there you're going to find body weight workouts dumbbell workouts kettlebell and resistant bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short for time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hassoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very very happy and it helps the channel grow and feel free to tell your friends your family your pets whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together Hello team and welcome back to episode 305 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Madrid. Michelle is a writer and coach who focuses on helping adoptees and women elevate their lives, their minds, Bodies and spirits. Outside of the adoptee community, adoption and those who go through the foster care system really isn't a subject that's spoken about enough. I reached out to Michelle after realizing that my knowledge in this area wasn't up to scratch and wanted to understand more myself personally and shine a light on an important conversation that we should be having more. This conversation was full of insights, and Michelle's wisdom goes beyond her knowledge surrounding adoption, and you are going to take so much away from this episode. In this episode, you can expect to learn why the narrative. we're told about adoption isn't really accurate what the impact is on those who grow out of the foster care system along with how each and every one of us can make an impact even if we aren't in a position to foster so without further ado Michelle Madrid. Michelle Madrid welcome to the show how are you today?
1: Thank you so much I'm very very well and I'm super excited to be with you today.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you on. We were just having a little chat beforehand, and I think this is a topic that is well worth a conversation and well worth a depthy conversation as well. So to begin with, I want the listeners to get to know a little bit more about yourself. So could you tell us about who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I am sitting here in California speaking to you, um, with you and with your audience, Um, but I am originally from the United Kingdom. I was um, a little girl who was placed into foster care in the United Kingdom and was ultimately adopted by Americans, which is how I got to this country. And I grew up as an international adoptee, not really knowing what that meant to the outside world, And certainly trying to explore, understand, um, grasp, hold of, contextualize what it meant for me in the inside world, in this inner world, in this inner experience I was having. And um, what I discovered when I was growing up is there were just really pretty much zero places to go, zero spaces to lean into, to talk about it, to express out loud what I was feeling, the questions I was having, the emotions I was moving through. And so for me, I think I began to um, put into my mind that the way I would deal with being adopted, looking different from everyone in my family, being from a different country from those in my um adoptive family and feeling very different was to avoid um, those things, stuff them way down deep, and just try to be perfect um, in everything that I did. I wanted to be the best at everything. And that was my way of avoiding a lot of things. And so as I moved through life, some of that served me well because I did well in school, I got into college, I did well in college, I went on to graduate school and got my master's and I ended up in television news and um, was doing great in television news and climbing up that ladder, right? But somehow I was getting these signs in my life, whether it was, you know, covering a story in news where adoption would come up and it didn't sit right with me how the narrative was being framed it didn't sit right with me sometimes how the adopted person was being looked at or viewed. There was a voice in me that was saying, I know you're doing what you love, but are you really doing what you're, you're here to do? Are you really living out your calling? Are you really living out the purpose that's seated deep within you? Ultimately, that led me to leave television news. And I did that for a few reasons. Um, I got married. I had children, etc., became a mother. Um, but I also knew I had to deal with things that were going on inside of me because I felt like if I didn't, I would never arrive at a place of greatness in my life. And I felt I was greater than this feeling of being so undervalued, so unlovable, so unworthy. And I had to find my own way of navigating all of that and coming out on the other side as a person who feels whole, healthy, alive, energized, you know, full of purpose. And so today, what I do is I'm a writer. Primarily to this point, I have written on the conversation of adoption. I coach adult adoptees primarily, some adopted children, and I do work with um, foster youth primarily, those who have aged out of the system here in the United States, um, to navigate their own journeys. Because as individual as we all are as people and as adoptees and as foster youth, et cetera, um, there are similar threads, I think, to our experience and similar feelings that when you put someone inside of a safe space to explore those things, they can really have great, grand transformational breakthrough. So that's the work I do right now. Um, I work to help those who live in the skin of adoption, who live in the skin of foster care, arrive at greater meaning um, of what their story really means. How do you, re- how do you reframe the hard parts? And, and do so in a way that, that um, strengthens you, um, that leads you forward in a stronger way. And how do you really become greater? How do we become greater than the pain, right? How do we become greater than the disappointments? And I think that's something that's really worthy of speaking to, no matter whether you're adopted or you've been in foster care or not. Even if you're a non-adoptee, we all come across things in life, those disappointments, those deems, those things that make us dim our light how do we reignite that light? And um, it's just a conversation I think everyone must have with themselves and then ultimately with each other, with kindness, compassion, and empathy.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it sounds like you do some super meaningful work, and I'm happy that you made that transition. Because as you mentioned, even just those with biological parents have those challenges to work through, right? So the set of circumstances of being an adoptee and what I've heard from your work in the sense of that struggle of identity, that struggle of feeling like, they're not wanted, for example, you're not getting off on the easiest foot whatsoever. So I think it's even more important in those ways to have someone like yourself and someone available to create that work and to help them find that meaning in their life and the greatness. And like you said, to overcome the pain, essentially. And on that note, you mentioned that you made that transition due to the narrative not being something that you aligned with. What is the current narrative when it comes to adoption, for example?
1: Such an important question. Thank you so much for asking that, because I think the disconnect within the adoption conversation is the fact that um, adoption is this one thing and that we need to look at it as, and and when I say this, please understand, I'm not saying that um, it's not this, but I'm saying it's so much more for the adoptee. If if adoptive parents or those outside of the um, adoption community, if you know if if society in as a whole looks at it as adoption is gain, adoption is this thing that happens in in a child's life and it's all good and it's everything to be celebrated. Um, I think what that does for the adoptee is it is it diminishes their need to grieve what is a real and present loss inside of them. Because you see, you can't have adoption if you first don't have a loss. So something had to come apart. A family had to come apart before something else could come together. Another family could come together. And oftentimes I think in the adoption conversation within that narrative, the focus is on the coming together of something new and we leave behind those things that fell apart. And for the adoptee, they enter their new homes, their new families, their new lives still with that loss swirling inside of them. But when you're told, just be grateful, just move on. You're so lucky. It makes you feel like It almost makes you feel so guilty for having those real, raw, human feelings inside of you going on. So you feel guilty that I should be feeling grateful, but why do I feel so much grief? I'm not saying I'm not grateful, but I'm also really grieving inside. I really feel sad and bad and everyone's telling me to just be happy. So where does the adoptee go to safely explore those things? You you start becoming... Very aware for your need to manage everything, um, and to please everyone else outside of you, and to live a narrative that doesn't necessarily feel completely true to you. So there's a saying that we talk about within the adoptee community is embracing the and the both and. I can both love my adoptive family. I can I can do that, and I can still feel. Um, the loss of a first family, a first identity, a first um, culture, a first language, what, whatever that may be. Um, and I need to be able to feel that. I need to be able to to grieve those things safely, to feel those things, to embrace my biology into myself. I call it like the ancestral blanket. We want to wrap ourselves in those things that we feel pulsing In our veins right the very makeup of who we are and love and embrace our adoptive story adoption is just not so simple it's not that simplistic and i think it's been made out to be that and in the doing we've left adoptees behind the very people that adoption is here to serve The very people that it says it is serving oftentimes get left behind within this narrative. And I think what we're trying to do as a community, if I can speak on behalf of myself, the work that I do and others, is bring an awareness, a real awareness of adoptees have been suffering for a very long time. There's a statistic, Elliot, that says adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide than non-adoptees. There's a reason for that. It's the pain points that we've not yet been able to, to truly explore out loud for fear of looking ungrateful, being called the angry adoptee, et cetera. We're none of those things. We're grateful. We can experience anger. It's one of the five stages of grief. It's important, right? We're human. We're real people who have gone through a very challenging situation early on. No matter if we were a day old and we were adopted, a month old, 10 years old, what have you, the the response to that separation is real and we need to pay more attention to it, closer attention to it so that we can help adoptees begin to thrive in their lives and really step into their true identity, their true voice and their power.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned that it's not as simple as most people would like to think. It's almost easy to say, ah, a child has come out of foster care, they've come into an adopted family, and now they get the happily ever after. And it's a nice story that seems easy and a beautiful way to tell it. But as you've mentioned, there's way more beneath that and it really does make sense. And with that being said, why is the topic of adoption still such a taboo subject? It's something that many of us don't know a lot about unless we're in that adopted community, as you mentioned. It's not something that's maybe maybe the information is out there, but it's not really there for us to come across unless we actively search for it. This all came about, this conversation of why we're speaking together came from a conversation my girlfriend and I were having. she was like, have you ever spoke to someone who has been adopted or is an expert in this topic? And I was like, I haven't even thought to come across it. And this is why I wanted to have this conversation today. So why is it such a subject that's pushed into the dark? Is it because of everyone likes to think it's this happily ever after? And it's quite a complicated set of circumstances. Or is it because we just don't know enough? Or maybe a combination of the two?
1: I think it's probably a combination of the two. And bravo to your girlfriend for bringing this conversation to the forefront. I'm so grateful. I just want to hug her. <laughs> um, I do think it's a combination of the two. I think it's um, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. Nobody wants their children to hurt. Adoptive parents don't want their children to hurt. You know, I've, I've coached adopted children, young young people. And I've had parents come to me who say, I don't, I really want to help my child. I'm noticing nuances um, as they enter like the ages of seven and eight, things that they may say that make me wonder if they're struggling um, with their inner narrative, their inner story. And they're wondering how to um, release those things and safely let those things out. Um, But it is an uncomfortable conversation. Parents don't want their children to hurt. I think the wider narrative is that, oh, a a child found a family, a child found a home. We're done. Let's celebrate. And I'm not saying that that is not in part true, right? But for instance, I was, you know, when I was adopted, I went into a family and no family is perfect, but my adoptive father struggled with alcohol, He was an alcoholic, he had a disease. Um, And growing up as, as an adoptee inside of a home that was so wrought with this traumatic daily experience was so hard because as much as the narrative on adoption sometimes focuses on the faults of the biological family, Where do you go to to say, hey, my adoptive family isn't perfect either and I'm struggling with this. And so I think we have to get very real and raw within this conversation and and be willing, even if it's uncomfortable, to lean into the fact that no human being is perfect, no family is perfect, this process of adoption isn't perfect, adoption loss is real, it is at the core of the lived experience for adoptees. And if we can get real about it, if we cannot judge, if we cannot label, if we can have healthy whole conversations about this, I think we can help the entire community get better. We can even forge deeper, more meaningful relationships between adoptive parent and adopted child. So I think ultimately doing the hard work and having the hard conversations is a win-win for everybody. Of course, I'm so focused on the adoptee. I am one and I love adoptees with all that I am. Um, but I think ultimately, as a community, we can help build a healthier community as well. We need to be for the adoptee always. We need to hear them, and we need to hear them from day one and not tell them what adopt- adoption means. My mother used to tell me all the time, adoption means love. That's it. You are this now. You are no longer this. Just be grateful and move on. And she didn't mean harm by it, but it was very harmful Because adoption does in part mean love, but it means so many other things. And I think the healthiest thing we can do for adoptees is say, I want to be here, love you, and support you as you journey and do your work of self-discovery, of really identifying and defining what adoption means for you. But I'm not here to tell you what it means. I'm here to tell you I love you, And I want to help you come to that place of understanding for yourself what the experience means for you. And I think that is an individual journey for every adoptee. We can all support them better. We can say, I'm here for you. I love you. I know and I understand that there is loss in adoption. And I want to help you to come to a place of feeling whole and clear about this journey that you've been given, right, to experience in this life. Um, And I think we can get so stuck in the struggle. And I get that because I've been stuck in that place. I think we all have stuck in the struggle of our life. But, you know, how do we find the traction, right? How do we find, how do we build the muscle um, to heal and to move forward and to be better in our lives, to serve better, to do better? And I think that's ultimately the journey that we're all on, Elliot. I mean, you get up every day and you motivate people to work out, to build the muscle, right? And it's that day, it's those little small things that we do. Um, The little things, um, the daily practice, the showing up for ourselves, the building of self-credibility, all of those things, I think, lead us into um, a place of understanding, you know what, I can get through this. This is hard. I can get through this. I can get stronger. I can build that muscle. I can have that muscle memory. I can grab the tools. Because I'm safely heard and I don't feel so alone anymore
0: what a beautiful place for people to be right just about everyone to have that opportunity especially adoptees and what i would like you to do now is could you shine a light on some of the challenges and some of the places that adoptees who maybe don't get that support go through because of it's very close to your heart and it's very close to your lived experience but for someone who's maybe not gone through the system they can't understand the degree of impact that might have and when i was listening to your ted talk which i would highly encourage anyone to have a listen to if even this sparks a even if it doesn't spark an ounce of curiosity, I think just understanding the stats and understanding what a lived experience of adoptee looks like has been absolutely fascinating. So I've got a couple of stats here which were alarming to me, which you mentioned in your TED talk, which was twenty five thousand leave foster care, twenty five percent become homeless, fifty six percent remain unemployed, eighty percent of prisoners um, have gone through the foster care system at some point, and eighty percent of trafficking victims have also gone through that as well. And for me, like, I think that was like a goosebump moment, and I was like. Let's And then I thought about it from the perspective of like, if you have a heart, you should care about this situation. And that's where I was like, okay, I'm even more excited to speak with you now. So can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges from that perspective, from a bigger picture in terms of where those who maybe don't get their quote unquote happy ever after end up? And also those who maybe go into a foster care home, but maybe don't have the best time in the world because they haven't been able to deal with the trauma, etc., what type of issues they experience in later life as well.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, the statistics are alarming and heartbreaking. <clears throat> I always want to look for the hope, and there are a lot of people out there I know doing work to help, and I appreciate that. I, I know my experience, because I was in foster care in the United Kingdom for a shorter time, but you know that experience of being displaced and removed um, seeds itself deep into... Um, your, your self worth or your sense of self worth. Uh, rejection is a really hard thing. Abandonment, relinquishment, because you just somehow inside of yourself get the message that you weren't worthy of being kept and something about you must just be unlovable. And if you tear and, and, you know, and, and that you're not wanted in this life that you've been given, it does a real mind trick on you. And I think that. When you look at foster care, and and I can, you know, I can focus in on what the situation in America, I mean, foster care, if you you look at those statistics, I think we have to be real and say something's broken within this system. If we have young people leaving foster care, which is supposed to, I mean, foster care is really supposed to be a temporary time, right? It's a temporary moment in, in a child's life. Um, but oftentimes they're there for all of their growing up, you know, and in in the States until they're 18 or so, you know, and they, if they're not adopted, they age out. I think we're not dealing with what this experience does to a person's soul and sense of self-worth. We are sheltering them. We are feeding them. Hopefully we are educating them but I will tell you when a child is moved from foster home to foster home to foster home their education um, is badly damaged because a lot of times records don't follow from one school to the next and things get lost and this child is is dealing with being in a new place in a new situation with a new foster family and the food is different and the bed is different and you know what they experience is really hard to wrap your head around unless you lean in and really talk to them um, and work with them. Um, and and so they leave the system and they don't have a net. You know, where do they go to? How do they open a bank account? How do they get a job? How do you create a resume? And And you add that, you stack that on top of just that, inner feeling of being so worthless. And you can understand why, why these statistics happen. These, these kids fall through the cracks and they end up, you know, within our um, uh, system of justice um, in jails or in prisons, or they end up on the streets. I mean, we pass people on the street every day who have been through the foster care system and we don't realize it, um, that that's part of their journey. And so how do we create that net? Well, it's got to start. We get, we've got to help families. How how do we help families? You know, it's like going upstream. We go downstream to, to fish people out of the water. But how do we help them not fall in the water in the first place? Well, the family structure has to be shored up. We've got to help people who are struggling, parents who are struggling. And I know there are organizations out there doing that. But if a child comes into the system, we have to do more to help them to, number one, help them to understand that this is a circumstance happening around around them. This is just not identify who they are or their potential in their life. We have to love them differently. We have to approach the conversation differently, I think. And for me, it's a soul-to-soul kind of thing. I want to get in there to that person's soul. I want to help them see that beautiful light that still resides inside of them that wants to be lit into a, you know, bright, burning flame um, in constructive, healthy, whole, beautiful ways. Um, and I think that we have to help them become trained. We've got to follow them in the education system and make sure that um, they are being served inside of their schools and loved up on in all sorts of ways. Um, otherwise, they will leave the foster care system very much still feeling alone and lost. Or if they are adopted, they're still struggling with all of this. They're still struggling with the trauma that has happened, the traumas that have happened as they've been moved from place to place to place to place. And so there are, you know, groups I I work with and I'm on a board called the heart gallery, um, heart gallery of New Mexico here in the States that are doing more to support youth who have aged out and to actually structure and set up mentoring systems where youth who have aged out are mentoring kids in foster care um, who are currently in foster care. So there's this understanding and this beautiful network of support. Um, they're working on that. And there's a lot of other ideas I know that people have and are, and are starting to um, implement, to talk about, to think about, to meet on, some of them within my own inner circle. Um, can't talk about that yet, but how do we support this population of people to help them um, to A, know of their worth, know of their capability, know of their potential, but then also to be ready for life, right? And that takes many different levels of approach, but ultimately I think we can get there. Because the statistics, as you said, are troubling, and we need to do better by these kids. Because ultimately, I, as I said, I was in the uh, the United Kingdom's foster care system. I was a ward of court, but the government was not the best parent for me. If you, if I grabbed my foster care records right now, you would see the labeling. I was labeled as difficult to place, unwanted, illegitimate, strange looking, dark. Um, And there was a lot that was said about me, labels that were placed on me to define me as a child who was less worthy of a family of success, of, you know, of, of reaching a level in her life that she could be proud of. And, and it it may have been completely unintentional, but it was immediately how I was labeled in the system as a throwaway kid. These are not throwaway kids. There is no human being right now. I don't care what your situation is. Please hear me on this, who is a throwaway human being. Each and every one of us has a purpose and we have potential and we are wanted in this life. You are wanted in this life. You are loved. You are so worthy of love, of receiving and giving love. And so we got to remove the blocks and those old stories, the old programming that keeps us locked in a place of feeling like we're just not worthy of the things that we so desperately want and need inside of us. And so I hope that answers your question because it's a it's a complicated, multi-layered situation. And it's taken years to arrive at those statistics. It's going to take us time um, to, to shift that um, and, and to move those statistics down, 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 down from 80% to, you know, ultimately, of course, the vision is no foster child struggling like that. Um, No adoptee struggling um, within that, you know, four times more statistic. Um, And so there's work to be done, but I think it's the intention every single day of getting up and in some way impacting a life, in some way connecting with someone who might be struggling right now. Um, And so for those listening, thank you for listening, but also ask yourself, what might I be able to do in my own community um, to learn more? to reach out, to help a kid, um, to help someone who is in this situation who or who has been through this situation.
0: For sure. It's a very multifaceted challenge and something that has layers and layers, right? It's not as if, as you mentioned, we've got to go upstream and downstream. We've got to do some work on the people who are ending at the bottom of the river, but also then have to address the top as well. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. And one thing that came to my mind just as you were talking now is that there's many who quote unquote age out of the um, foster care system. Does that mean that there aren't enough families who are ready to take on a foster care child? Is there a difference between how many people get um, adopted at an early age in life? Is there a bigger challenge when someone becomes a teenager, for example? Because of just from my naivety and my lack of understanding in this area, I can imagine it's probably harder to take on a teenager with all the lived experience and all of those type of things that they've already experienced in their lives versus taking on a child who's maybe not got so, memory, so many memories yet, who's a little bit more moldable. So can you go through that for me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is a challenge. Number one, you're absolutely right. Here in the states, there are more kids coming into foster care than there are families to take them in. So, you know, looking at your your situation and, and where you are in your life right now, and saying, "Can I be? A, can I help a child in this way? Can I become a foster parent?" If that's something that you've been feeling a little tug on your heart, I, I would look into it. You know, I always say these these things that um, these little signs or clues. And there are little clues, like little pebbles along the path that move us closer to, you know, something that we may be here to offer, um, some way we may be here to serve in our life. So I would say pay attention to those things. And if you feel inclined, at least look into it. And if it's not becoming a foster parent, how might I be able to support kids who are in foster care right now? The holidays are coming up. You know, we have holiday drives here for kids, um, where foster kids will write down what they would most love for Christmas. And we don't think about these kids, right? It's Christmas time, and they're in a really hard place. They're maybe they're in a new foster home, or you know. And and how can we make sure that they see still magic in their lives? Sometimes the holidays are a time when we just forget that there are kids out there who are struggling like that and how can we help? Um, When it comes to adopting through foster care, a lot of times the harder um, groups are the the older um, foster youth, the teens are the sibling groups. Um, And I think there's a real push here. I know in the States, um, you know, the campaign of awareness of you know, teens need families, too. And adopting a teen out of foster care, even though, yes, they've maybe been in foster care longer than a five-year-old, but my goodness, what they might be able to offer you in your family. I know a lot of single people who adopt a teenage, um, um, a teenager out of foster care, and, and the stories can be really beautiful, really, really beautiful. And then the sibling groups, you know, it's really hard when – siblings are separated um, through adoption out of foster care. It's really tragic. I can speak to my own, you know, I've got siblings in the UK and it was, you know, I didn't know when I was adopted out of foster care that I even had siblings. Um, And when I found them, especially um, a brother on my paternal side, just knowing that he was there and he existed and him knowing that he had a sister he didn't know about such a beautiful um, gift and to be separated, whether you are aware that you're being separated from siblings or not, I think you feel it. And um, I know for kids who have been adopted out of foster care and their sibling groups have been separated when they're able to reconnect, it's a, it's a powerful reconnection. And so Here in the States, there's a lot of work done to make sure that these kids are adopted um, as sibling groups. And so that's something to consider as well. Yes, there's so much need, but I would just say to people, ask yourself, explore your heart, explore where you are in your life right now. and, And ask perhaps if you feel an inclination to help this population of people, how you might best be equipped to help. And then find those avenues to explore and to lean in and to begin doing the work, the um, meaningful work of infusing your love, your lived experience, your know-how, your knowledge, your wisdom into
0: a child's life.
1: can tra- You know, they say all we need is one person, right? One person to believe in us. It's true
0: absolutely and I would love for you as I'm sure you have many arguments to argue this thing that I'm sure happens a lot as many people when they talk about children if we hear about divorce especially for those who have children the majority of the time it comes down to economic reasons so for anyone who may be saying well you know what I can only just about look after my own children etc cetera, etc cetera, what would you say to those people in the situation because I feel that's probably going to be a large drawback to many who feel like ah my heart says yes but my brain and my finances say no but I would love it if you presented some reasons why that might not be as valid as we think.
1: Well, I think for sure, you know, it it is important to be honest with yourself about what you can and cannot do. I don't think it ever serves a child for anyone to jump in without thoroughly having explored their their, um, current situation and how they may or may not be able to step up fully into that position. Because that's what a child needs. I mean, children need adults around them who are 100% engaged. And so if you can't do that, there's no judgment. There's no shame in that. I think it's awesome that you're really real and honest with yourself. But there's something that you probably can do. Because if you're feeling that in your heart, there's some way that you want to help. So it's just finding that way. It may be mentoring, right? It may be... Um, again, it, um, offering, um, um, ways to, to, to give during the holidays to support a child. Um, I would, I would definitely lean into, you know, your, I don't know if it's here, we call it, um, social services, um, but find out what's going on in your community, but absolutely be real and honest with yourself because you don't want to bring a child into your home. If you don't feel fully ready, capable, um, to roll up your sleeves and, and be with that child and give that child the presence of, of that they need to know that you are there and you're engaged and um, you're always offering that place of support for them. So as much as I would like to say, you know what, just do it. <laughs> we have to be real and we have to ask ourselves, how am I best equipped in this moment to help? And it may be bringing a child into your home, it may be becoming a foster, parent it may be adopting a child but first be very real and I always say you know to to adults we just have to make sure that we are working on ourselves as parents as adults in this world as we and when we ask kids you know to um do the same kind of work, right? We, adoptees are oftentimes, you know, we've got to do this work of healing ourselves. But I also know as a parent, I'm not, a, I'm doing the work to heal myself for myself, yes, but also for my kids. I want my kids to see a woman who is doing the work of being healthy, whole, more connected to who she is, more secure in her skin, more comfy in her skin, all of those things. Um, we each just have to do the work and I think when we do that and we are able to transform our inner world, the outer world responds. And so it could be even, here's a thought, it could just be even making the commitment today to do the work of moving through something inside of me that I feel triggered about. It may be coming to a place of our sense of peace within myself about some struggle that I'm having. Um, and trusting that when I do that, the outer world is going to respond. And maybe that means it's it's preparing the way for me to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent or a mentor. But if I do the work on myself and I trust that the outer world um, is seeing that and is going to respond in kind, then I can pretty much trust that the path is being laid. Um, for how I'm supposed to show up within this particular conversation, and how
0: I love that answer, and it was the thing that came to my mind when you were speaking about it, and it comes back to that multifaceted layer of how to solve this challenge is that if we don't have adults who are equipped, I've, whether that be a mentally physically, emotionally, or even economically to take on a foster child, then that's really gonna be a challenge. It's like okay, we can work with all these children who are in foster care, but right now there's not many adults who are available to take those on, but I like like what you said there it's like Every single person, doesn't matter where you're at, can take a step towards helping, even if that means just starting with helping themselves and showing up as an adult who is, like you said, working through the challenges that they have, inspiring other people, and then potentially the next step is to mentor, is to volunteer or something along those lines. So I think that's a a beautiful step that just about everyone can take. And I'm super curious to hear about the makeup of your own family, Michelle. I was curious to hear that you have a biological child who you had first, if I'm not mistaken, and you have to adopt the children as well. If you don't mind me asking, what made you come to the choice of going for three children? And is there any plans for more? And what made you start with a biological child as well, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Well, um, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. it just happened. And I was pregnant with this amazing boy. <laughs> and it was really, it was really profound actually for me to give birth. And it just, it was, I think, divinely um, inspired in that I would bring a child into the world in that way, because I never really thought about it. I always thought, oh, if I ever were to um, start a family, maybe I would adopt. I I mean, I just didn't know. And then I was found myself, you know, um, pregnant with this amazing Little boy, and I remember after I gave birth, and I held him. I was like, "This is the first time I've held someone who I'm connected to biologically." Like held them. I had had a reunion with my birth mom in the United Kingdom, and I had spent time with her since in my teens. Um, but I had never felt held. You know, I'd, I'd never felt held, truly held and truly embraced by someone that i was connected to biologically and so that moment of holding my son was hugely healing in that way and i also saw my capability like if i could do this i could do anything like wow i am stronger than i am right more capable than i ever dreamed Um, and so that experience was beautiful and um, so very meaningful like every anyone who's given birth to a child in that way um, can attest to and the journey to adopt internationally also kind of arrived organically, if you will and I ended up you know in Russia and adopted my second child who is um, amazing. he's brilliant and Um, bold and highly enthusiastic about life. He's taught me so much about that, of how to each and every day wake up and say, I'm excited. I don't know what this life is going to give me on this day, but I'm excited and I'm ready. He's taught me so much about um, having uh, a mindset that is um, there to serve him, you know, And, and how do you have that kind of mindset? He's You know, I'm in awe of him. He's amazing. And then my daughter, again, um, it was an organic um, arrival to Ethiopia. And all of a sudden, it seemed I was holding my daughter in my arms in Addis Ababa and learning even a deeper meaning to um, why I'm here and the work that I still needed to do on myself. My daughter's Ethiopian name, Um, the name that she was given means let her be greater. And I realized when I was standing there in Ethiopia holding her for the first time, um, that I still had some work to do, um, in order to realize that I was worthy of arriving at a place of greatness in my life. And, you know, it's the stories that hold us back, right? It's the stories in our head. It's the beliefs that we, um, had been, um, I should say the beliefs that here adhered themselves into our minds and into our spirits, the limiting beliefs that keep us from that place of, of of arriving at greatness. We're all so capable of that, and in fact, we are intended for that. So each each one of my deliveries, if you will, because I believe adoption is a different form of delivery, um, and it's equally as beautiful and, val- and valued. Um, it's just taught me something more about myself. and um, I would have to say that you know I have a I have kids who love each other immensely. They're different, but through this experience, they've learned that difference is really cool. And we're not here to to um, to disappear and become something else that someone else wants us to be, right. We are here to stand in our uniqueness and to be valued. For that. And that can be our perspectives, that can be anything. But I think what we have all learned inside of this family is that um, those unique qualities, the things that make us who we are, are the things that we value and we should celebrate and delight in.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful it really really is beautiful and it reminds me of the quote that you mentioned which is family has very little to do with biology and everything to do with love which i thought was incredible and with that being said how do your children support each other i'm sure they're very aware that they aren't biologically related is that ever been a challenge that you and your partner have had to face is it something that you've had to do the work to integrate or have they just been able to know these things but just love each other as children tend to do because children tend to love each other but they can also have that that side to them are a little bit too honest from time to time so I'm curious is there any challenges with the family dynamic because what I've seen based on your social media and the talks that you've done is that you are a very strong tribe indeed but I'm curious to see are there any challenges that come up because I'm sure a lot of people who are maybe intrigued with foster care might think okay well how is this going to work with my biological children who I already have mm,
1: yeah that's a great question and um, you know I think it's the building and creating of space, and and we do this to come and just to stay open. You can talk about anything at any time, at any moment um, when it comes up for you. Um, and I think that that has been really um, helpful in our family. We do this thing called uh, pass the pass the spoon. Like we have earlier on, it was a wooden spoon, and now it may be something different, but we still call it sort of pass the spoon where. You hold the spoon and the person holding the spoon talks until they feel that they've said what they need to say. And then they say, and that's what I need to say. That's what I have to say. And they pass the spoon to someone else. I think it's the creating of space to be heard, to feel fully seen, to feel that what's coming up for you in that moment is truly valued. Um, And to know that you're safe in that kind of exploration. Yeah, we're different. My kids who um, are adopted I think really like the fact that their mom is adopted. Because <laughs> <Yeah, definitely. laughs> they, they can talk about these. They know that I love their biological family. Even though we may not know them, I love their parents. If, if not for them, my children wouldn't be here. And when you adopt everything that comes with that child, you're adopting everything their biology, their culture, everything, their first language. My son is taking Russian. That's his first language. He heard that language for a year inside of the orphanage. It's his. And it roots him to something deeper, something that takes him back to his origins and his original story. I want him to speak that. More more importantly, he wants to speak his language. And so he's in his third year now of studying Russian. And these things are important. My daughter, I think, will... um And she's starting to express um, and she's in seventh grade wanting to learn her um, language of Amharic. Um, And we will find those avenues to help and support her with that. And they know that they can talk about openly and freely their first family. um, And they can feel that. I always tell my kids, we may not have stood face to face with those beautiful people, those beautiful parts of who you are. But if you close your eyes, you can feel them. You can have reunion within and they're there. They're there. They're inside of you. And I never want to block that for my kids. Um, And, you know, for my eldest son, it's the same. I want him to know he can come anytime to me and talk about anything. And I want them to be able to, as they go and as they grow and become adults, um, to be able to come back together and have these same kinds of conversations. Yes, we're from different places around the world. Um, and yes, we have uh, a unique tapestry that's been sewn, um, in part through adoption. But I think it's just been a great lesson on embracing how different we all are, whether it's an adopted family or not. Embrace the difference. Don't try to make someone be someone that you think they should be. Let them become all that they are. And that's such a freeing place. And I think when you can let go and surrender in that way, there's like, ah. Oh. And then it becomes this delight of watching these gifts unfold and the talents that they have and the perspectives that they, that they want to share. It's really, really cool. And um, it really comes down to being allowing, letting, giving ourselves permission to be who we are and allowing those around us to, to um, have that same experience. I think that's so, so important, Elliot.
0: That's it. I don't think a kid can ask for much more other than a judgment-free zone and a safe space to express themselves as they wish to do. so. And I think any kid would need that. And I can imagine even more so if they're experiencing the things that you would do as an adopted child. But it's beautiful that they have that. It's beautiful that they have conscious parents who are able to give them the ability to do that as well. And I love hearing stories about this because of there has been many generational cycles that have gone on and gone on. And they They're going to continue to go on. But then there's someone who breaks the cycle, who does give their children that safe space to do it. And then you like to think that when they have their own children, the same thing is going to apply. And, you know, there's going to be a beautiful, beautiful lot of generations beyond that, which is amazing to hear about. So I can't imagine how valuable it is for your children and probably how amazing it is for you and your partner as well.
1: Well, you know, um, it is, you know, we have to be as individuals willing to stand up and say, I'm going to be the one to end the generational trauma. Um, because I believe when you heal yourself, you, you are. it is ancestral healing. You are healing um, your ancestral line, past, present, and future. It is that powerful. And I think we can shift the next generations by being very real with ourselves. What within myself needs to be healed? What needs to be cleared? What needs to be cleaned? There is uh, a powerful practice, and you, maybe you've heard of it, and maybe your listeners have, but it's called Ho'oponopono. And it's an ancient Hawaiian healing practice, and I use it all the time. And basically, the, the gist of it is that when we clear and clean those things within ourselves, if I'm being triggered by something or triggered by someone, the, the belief is that there must be something within myself that needs to be cleared cleaned healed and so if i work it gets back to what we were saying if i work on my inner world the outer world will respond and so holo Pono is four simple phrases i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you and i say it all the time when i first wake up before i go to bed throughout my day um if someone or something triggers me out there in the world i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i've got to clean it inside of myself and then know that the outer world will respond. And I find when I do that, if I'm, you know, in a store and someone's acting out and it triggers me, if I do that, it shifts the whole energy. <laughs> it is really phenomenal that it's a simple practice that I offer up because just those four phrases can shift energy inside of ourselves. And then it shifts the energy around us. And so I tell my kids all the time, Ho'oponopono. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Use it. It's so powerful.
0: Yeah, it's the power of consciousness, like getting yourself into the present moment, because that's what something is going to do. It's going to ground you. And it's also the power of those words and the terminology that you're using. You can't say those words and almost still be angry. you bring yourself into the present. You're using extremely powerful and meaningful words. There's really no other avenue that you can go down, yeah. really. And on the note of powerful words, you've been writing a book recently, haven't you? So I'd love to hear about the book you've been writing, what the context is of it all, and when we can expect to hear and see more about it.
1: Thank you so much. Yes, I just turned in the first draft manuscript on Monday of this week. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate that because it's been a journey. Um, The book is looking at what I see and I've experienced in my own life and through coaching um, adult adoptees primarily the eight pain points of the adoptee experience. I won't go into all of those, but I will say that um, what I Um, what I felt was missing when I was growing up as an adoptee, one of the things I felt was missing is when I would pick up a book on adoption, it felt very clinical and cold, almost as if I was being diagnosed with an ailment that needed to be cured. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. I'm not sick. I'm I'm adopted. And I'm just looking for ways to um, explore that within myself to heal some places that feel very raw and wounded and to move forward in my life. And it wasn't until I, p- I picked up a book called You Can Heal Your Life, um, many years ago by Louise Hay, where I there, it was suggested to me that I could heal my life. Um, it, it didn't say you can heal your life unless you're adopted. It just said you can heal your life, even if I'm adopted, you know, and I was holding that book. So I started reading through it. And I think that's when my soul work began. I started really delving into alternative forms of healing and that has been the thing that has worked for me and so this book has some of those practices and those approaches within it um, soul work healing to look at the eight pain points of the adopted experience to identify which pain points may be showing up more in your life or most in your life right now and here's some soul work approaches some modalities of healing that may be able to help, some exercises, some meditation exercises, journaling, those types of things that have been really profoundly impactful in my own life. And then I witness it being the same in for those I coach. And so right now, um, the working title is Let Us Be Greater. And I share the story of my daughter's name, Let Her Be Greater. But I think as a community of adoptees, when we can do this beautiful soul healing work, Um, We will arrive at this place of being greater than these pain points, of healing them, moving on, stepping into our truest identity, using our voice, learning how to trust, welcoming ourselves into the world, reconnecting with what I call the first me, the me I was before I was adopted. Her name was Julia Dawn, and she still lives inside of me. I mean, I have her tattooed on on my arm. (laughs) Um, She's a part of me. And to openly embrace that part of who the adoptee is, to to arrive at a place of wholeness. We've got to be able to access all of those parts of who we are. And so my prayer, my intention with this book, is it will help to guide adoptees along that very worthy path. It is targeted to be released fall of 2023 through new world library.
0: Amazing. So around November next year, we can expect to see it on the New York times bestseller list.
1: (laughs) I would love that. Can we please all collectively put that intention out? Because if it's sitting there, um, that means it's helping even more people. And that's always the intention. Every single day I get up and say, who can I help today? How can I show up in a, in a way of, of helping, supporting healing You know, it's why we're doing this work. It's why we're talking right now is that we get up every day and we want to help. Who can we serve? And if it's one person, to me, that is a huge victory. It is a huge win. And I always want my, my clients and my kids to look at their wins for that day. What was a win for me? It doesn't matter if it was tiny or if it was huge. Celebrate your wins. Yes, there are wounds to work through. There are hurts and disappointments along this life and in this life. But you know what? Um, we need to stop and celebrate the wins too and all the ways that we show up um, as our best self. And we want to build on that and continue that forward. And we also want to receive when someone has done something really beautiful for us. Um, all these wins we need to highlight, celebrate and realize because they are really important too. So yeah, let's uh, let's put that intention out for a win for this book because I do want it to reach as many hearts as it can. And, you know, even, you know, for adoptive parents, there's going to be a huge amount of information in this book to help you to better understand what it really means, what it really feels like to be adopted. And I always like to add that word really, Elliot, because it's different to say, what does it feel like to be adopted? What does it really feel like to be adopted? And I hope that this book will bring us closer to understanding that and answering that
0: question. Absolutely. I really hope it does. I really do. And on that note, Michelle, it's been a truly, truly wonderful conversation. It's been eye-opening. So thank you so much for sharing all of these insights with us. And whilst we are awaiting this incredible book, where is the best place that people can find you online and potentially even work with you if they found something that, yeah, they would like to come to you with?
1: Oh, absolutely. Please come to, one of the, I think the easiest ways is to go to Instagram and I'm at the Michelle Madrid, M I C H E L L E M A D R I D at the Michelle Madrid. And if you go to my link there, you can find all the ways to connect with me and work with me. And I always start as far as um, uh, the coaching conversation with a 30 minute complimentary consultation. We will talk, we will find out where you are, where you want to be, and how I might be able to help you. Get there. That's what coaching is all about. So Instagram, if you have it, is a great way to connect with me. um, And I would suggest that first.
0: Incredible. I'll put all the details in the show notes. But thank you once again, Michelle. This has been amazing.
1: Thank you so much. It's been amazing. I thank you and your lovely girlfriend, your lovely lady. Um, I just really appreciate your energy and your spirit and your soul. So keep doing what you're doing. I'm watching and it inspires me every
0: day. So thank you. Thank you, Michelle. It means a lot. It truly does. Thank you so much. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoon. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.